listening to the Kaiju Apostle Podcast, a Godzilla podcast for hardcore and casual fans alike, and everyone else in between. listening uh you clicked on purpose or it was an accident so either way we're glad to have you here Uh, my name is david i am one of the co-hosts of this podcast the kaiju apostle podcast and joining me i have the lovely as ever chris warmerskirch how are you doing chris i i really like being called lovely it's one of those ones that as a man i don't think i've ever had before yeah, I know. It's it's. I don't remember who it was, but a couple of weeks ago, someone said that I looked like cute or something like that. And they're like, <laughs> "Oh, I'm sorry." I'm like, "No, like that's fine." I mean, you didn't say I was ugly, so I don't care, you know. But uh, yeah, you don't hear that very often. Like, lovely, cute. Yeah, uh, words like lovely. I think I like think of Vanna White, and maybe exclusively Vanna White. <laughs> okay. <laughs> On that note, um, so yeah, podcast time. This is uh been a while in the making um so just to kind of introduce the podcast it's it's going to be really hard for me to introduce the podcast without talking about myself for a few minutes so please bear with me um so this podcast is really it it was a blog first and i have had numerous conversations with chris and god um, about just the futility of blogs in the 21st century. Um, Cause I am not a mom. I'm not an influencer. I don't sell essential oils. Uh, so it's just really not working for me. Um, and I love writing, but I feel like for almost eight years of writing for school, I'm just kind of done for a while. So I, I came up with this idea, um, which is going through the mainline Godzilla films with, you know, subtitles, original Japanese, Um, going through this with a deeper, uh, just really wanting to dive deeper into these films. Um, it started when I wanted to start watching these films again, I picked up the criterion version of the film we're discussing tonight, Godzilla 1954. And I was like, man, you know, I, I grew up watching these films, right? I think I was probably two when I saw this one, but the American version. So released in 1956, um, my mom grew up going to the drive-ins to watch them, right? The old kind of campy dubbed versions of the films. Um, so I grew up with it. I had the Trend Master toys, all that. Um, but like a lot of things, when my parents got divorced, I just kind of stopped caring because I'm like, I got to grow up, you know, all this bull crap you pull. And then you become an adult and you realize, okay, this stuff was awesome. Why do I care about football when I can watch Godzilla? Um so I started to want to watch these movies again because my two-year-old at the time loved dinosaurs. I'm like, well, why not? And I watched one film. Um, I'm not going to get into that yet because I don't want to spoil you know, a year down the road. Um, but I watched this film and I saw one of the most clear examples of what's called a ransom atonement theology, which obviously, Chris, you're aware of. 
Um, but a lot of you who are listening, probably that means nothing. Um, but it's just well, the idea. If well, I can interrupt, it means nothing because it's a term we're unfamiliar with. But I think as we unpack it, the idea yeah, is yeah, that yeah. you realize you do know it. Yeah, and, and that's it. Maybe that's the familiarity with the term. Um, but in the first couple centuries of the, the Christian church, um, there was a, a belief going through scripture that uh, Jesus offered himself up to the devil as a as really as a trap, right? So the whole idea is like, you know, the devil uh, ensnared Jesus, so to speak, but that's when Jesus defeated the devil. Like that in itself was uh, a trap. And it, it's, 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 I honestly love the idea, even if I don't agree with all of it. Um, but I saw that in this film and I saw the, the resurrection of Jesus in this film in such a way that it's really hard for me to believe that it wasn't intentional and I haven't seen anyone else talk about it, which is why I don't want to <laughs> give it away because I want to be able to kind of like, hey, this is what we've been building up to because um, it's one of the last films in the series. So anyway, at that point, I'm just like, man, like more than just the World War Two and Godzilla 1954, or I'll just refer to it as Gojira moving forward. Um, there's just so much depth in these films that I missed as a kid. You know, I love the monster fights. I love the action, stuff like that. But I mean, what we're going to find is going through these films. There's so much to unpack that we're definitely not even going to come close. Um, actually, there's a few where there's like nothing. But for the ones that do have something to say, there's just so much. So I wanted to do a blog about that. And then I just realized, like I said, I just blogging's just not my thing these days. And that's where I had the idea of, okay, well, I don't want to do a podcast by myself. So how do we make this work? And then I'm like, well, Chris has like pretty much never seen any Godzilla films. So after listening to my friend Henry's podcast, uh, it came from a monster movie where he brings on people that sometimes have never watched a Godzilla film and they do a review over it. I was like, what if we did a whole podcast series where the co-host has like never seen any of these films, like get the reaction and the feedback I've gotten from that has been great. So here we are. Totally. And I think the, I'll just spoil it for you. I think you're talking about the 1996 Matthew Broderick movie is the one where we're in the building. 98, but close enough. Yeah. I was still, I was three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, totally yeah, kidding. That film, uh, that's actually not even on our list. Well, so here's the thing. So, my name's Chris, right? And so, when he's talking about someone who's never seen the movies, I haven't even seen that one. I just know it's kind of a, it, that one's kind of the jar jar of the Godzilla movies. And the only one I've seen is the 2014 one, actually. Mm hmm. And I know, like, there's some where Godzilla's got a chubby little baby. I know there's a cartoon. <laughs> like, yeah. I have a passing familiarity with the franchise because I imbue so much pop culture. But mm -hmm. that doesn't really mean I know much about it at all. So, basically, what you're going to be able to listen to is this really fun thing I do where I'm, like, going to butcher every name, forget some characters, like... Talk about that big moth one, even though their names are kind of easy. But I so, still can't get over the chubby baby. I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong. He's he's 
See, and it's so funny, like that design in itself, like so many people hate it, but it works so well. Like you just, it's so iconic. So I just, yeah. When we get to that movie though, like the actual birth scene is absolutely disgusting. Um, Um, Now that you've talked about like a birth scene, I'm like so in. I can't Not like Godzilla giving live birth. That would be crazy. (laughs) Godzilla (laughs) C-section. No. Oh, goodness. Um, But to be fair with Godzilla 1998, um, what I found really interesting, and I don't want to go on too much of a tangent here, is it was originally supposed to be made in like 94, 95. Um, I think it was the director of Speed, and I'm looking that up right now. Um, I believe he was actually supposed to be the one who was directing it, and I just realized I moved away from the mic a little bit, so I'm going to get back in there. Um, yeah, so Jean de Bont, uh, he was supposed to direct it because they were trying to pick up on the steam of Jurassic Park, right? Sure. So he ended up not doing that and ended up being uh, the guys who did Independence Day and all that. Um, but that was part of it. Is It definitely was more of just a typical monster film. I don't know. I, I tried watching it a few weeks ago or about a month or two ago. I didn't realize like how so some of the humor was so mature and not like in a, the office funny way, but I'm just like, like, in a Oh, way. like, yeah, they like made a suggestion about sleeping with the boss or something like that. And it was just so like nineties that I don't know, I guess if you like friends, you would probably not care, but oh, uh, that was a great way to turn me off. Yeah. Right. No, it's just, it's not a bad film for what it is and the design's actually really cool i just what's funny is there's so many people that are like ah well it's just not it's not a good godzilla film like i don't want to be like well king of the monsters wasn't really either but uh that's besides the point please please don't stop listening i promise there's a reason i said that we're like Um, eight minutes in we've already got our first hot take i know i know no I, i i'm really trying to be respectful about that it was it's a fun film i just i'm really excited to get because that'll be the last episode, right? Well, actually, Godzilla vs. Kong would be, but yeah, um, anyway. Yeah. Can you imagine it'll be done by na- by then? We've got 100 weeks. Yeah, right. 100-some. <laughs> All right. So uh, now that we kind of introduced ourselves and talking about the podcast, um, I figure the format for this, because as you can tell, this is our first episode, which crap, I totally forgot. This episode is called the Kaiju Menace because episode one, I totally meant to say that. In oh, the beginning. That's great. oh man, we're totally going to do nine episodes of this and it's going to be wonderful. Like, um, it's going to be like, who's the real monster Godzilla or the humans? Yeah. I that's just, anything I can do for the evening. Like, yeah. I just, I don't know, man. Episode one, two, I can't not do Star Wars. I mean, we had a Star Wars podcast before. I can't not do that. And I feel um, like we're really not going to be able to avoid it because of who we are. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, yeah, I figure format um, really just kind of go into uh, first impressions of the film. And then, obviously, we're going to kind of dive into some of the deeper themes. I think it's... It's. I think it's going to be kind of hard to divorce the two sections. I think some episodes it might be a little bit easier to do that. Um, but like with this one, it's kind of hard not to discuss the deeper theological implications without even discussing the film itself. So, well, right. what? 
Yeah. So I will let you start here because this is obviously a uh, a big reveal, I guess, for you. Now you know what's going on. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe kind of a for couple of first impressions mm-hmm. are. I was kind of shocked how it's not that Godzilla plays a little role in the film, but I guess I did kind of imagine it's going to be a lot of it. Like it was going to be constant Godzilla. And when I saw an hour and 40 minutes worth, I was like, how is he going to be there the whole time? Because I think what I've been hearing, and I know you'll kind of dispel this as we go on and the movies themselves will do it. But everyone's like, these aren't about the humans. But I was like, this is a hugely human story. There are lots of them. And honestly, sometimes I was like, I want to get back to Godzilla. So quick interjection, Alex, I know you're listening to this. Hey, Alex. And I know you are fist pumping in the air right now when you just said that. Uh, Yeah, man. Um, Yeah, we're going to come back to that because you're absolutely right. It's that that's a very, very astute observation. So keep going. Yeah. And kind of the other thing that I was really like, I was really kind of shocked by, and this is, you know, coming from six decades later from the time that this movie was made and seeing like the, what's a good term for it? The spiritual successors to Godzilla, like Power Rangers, Pacific Rim, a couple episodes of Clone Wars, like, my expectations for what the film would be and what the film actually is, like they're miles different. And now it wasn't just like the human stuff, but it's like kaiju monsters these days have nothing really to say. Like I know Pacific Rim, they said it was about world unity, everyone coming together to fight monsters, but it really kind of felt more like a beat em up. So I was kind of mm-hmm. surprised to see this one have like almost like, it had something to say in almost every scene, and that was a little shocking, and maybe yeah. unfairly shocking. Well, you have no, you have no prior experience though. So yeah. for you, you're right. I mean, if all you know is Godzilla 14, which to be fair is probably in my top five, but we'll get there eventually. Yeah. Um, but when you're seeing, you know, you're talking about the Clone Wars, the episode with the Zillow Beast, right? And right. then you've got Pacific Rim. Which did you ever watch Uprising? I think I watched some of it. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a movie. Yeah, I liked I liked the first <laughs> one a lot. It was fun. Yeah, first one's great. Uh, Guillermo del Toro is just a phenomenal uh, director. Um, but yeah, I mean, but even with Pacific Rim, though, like to me, that's if you want to look at a good like, okay, this film is just really about monster fights, and yeah, obviously there's there's some stuff to be said and. I think even like the dealing with trauma is really important in that film. I yeah. really, I can appreciate that a lot. Um, but ultimate, I mean, it wouldn't be a Del Toro film if there wasn't something deeper in it. Um, but yeah, as a whole, if that's your only experience is dealing with stuff like just seeing stuff like that, right? Um, we like rampage, even like the giant monsters. Um, you're, you're surprised when you go and watch Godzilla for the first time. And, there's a reason why I feel like wanted to do this in the Japanese um, because you and I have discussed, you know, with like biblical studies, right? 
it's so easy to just get stuck on which translation you're reading, forgetting that there's an original language, right? Right. And I think, you know, you and I both know that, but it's really easy to take that for granted if you haven't actually done the time of trying to translate and doing all these studies. And with these Godzilla films, it's the same way where most people, they grew up with a dubbed or, you know, the English overlay. Um, They grew up with that. So they have these memories of was it John Belushi was on TV with Godzilla versus Megalon? I can't remember who it was, but like those were silly films, like straight up. I mean, they're good for what they are, but those, those films in themselves were going to be a little bit more lighthearted in general. So then you throw these crappy dubs on top. Right. So people don't take it seriously. Right. And they just, they think rubber suits and, you know, miniature sets and all this stuff. And, it's because they're not actually taking the time to watch foreign films. And that's, that's really what it is. I actually, when I look at reviews back in the fifties the and sixties, when people try to watch this film, there's such an anti Japanese and anti foreign films, like mentality behind the way that people approach this, that they never really gave it a shot. And it still happens now. And I'll, I'm not trying to say this to be mean, but even within the Godzilla fandom where People will say, well, I'm not going to watch the subtitled version because it's too much work. Right. You know, and I mean, on the one hand, I get it. But like if you're not watching, like opening up foreign films for me changed, actually changed the way I viewed Godzilla films, because then I started getting like Akira Kurosawa and all this other stuff, even, you know, Guillermo del Toro. And when you have a chance to watch the film, how it's originally meant to be made, you get a greater appreciation for it. And that's, again, so when you, a lot of people grew up with the American version of this film, and it's not that it's not serious, but it's definitely the, the edge is taken down quite a bit. It's softened up quite a bit. And oh, for sure. So it's, so yeah, like, so like I was saying, I mean, if you don't have a point of reference, I think that's kind of the word I was looking for. It, it, yeah, it would be surprising. You're like, wow, this is actually a very sobering film. There's not a lot of humor present at all right because i think like with my experience and you know i'll keep bringing up power rangers because i'm currently watching that too because i'm an eternal man child you can edit that out um but i think like watching like rubber puppets and people in robot suits fight each other it does lose some of the edge when you don't have the original context but then when you like watch like the Godzilla movie in Japanese and you see the rubber suit, but you understand what the symbolism behind Godzilla himself is. I feel like I forgot about the suit really easily. Like there were times that I could tell, I'm like, Oh, that this must be the puppet. This must be the suit. But mm-hmm. I don't think I cared as much because I was like, I understand what he like symbolizes. And that makes it scary despite how silly he kind of looks right now. And that, and that's the point, I think, is that, you know, we watch these CG films and you never like, I don't know, for me, I'm never actually watching a largely CGI film and being like, wow, I think this is real. Right. right. I mean, you get lost in it, but you're never, I don't know, I already know it's going to be CGI. Right. And right. it's like, whatever. And with these films, these they're, they're technically considered tokusatsu. Um, but when you watch these films and TV shows or rather just films, cause power Rangers, you, yeah. Um, no, I'm just saying like, it, I wouldn't say what I'm about to say would apply to that as much, but yeah, I mean, I know it's a guy in a rubber suit, 
But I get so wrapped up in this film that you're right. I do forget about it. And there's times where I, I don't know, like for me, that's more effective, right? Than right. all the CGI that looks real. Like this stuff doesn't look real. And I know it's not, but it's so engrossing. Yeah. And I can't really like, put a, I can't put a finger on what the difference is. But I think when you watch like Endgame, especially mm-hmm. when you see some of the behind the scenes footage, and you see that like Captain Marvel's hair had been CG'd to be a different hairstyle at different times. Mm-hmm. You, there's something that like I don't know if it's the uncanny valley effect. I think that's probably the wrong term here, but you can tell that it's fake. Whereas a rubber suit still has like a visceral like reality to it. There's a texture yeah. to it. Man, but that's that's I think that's why a lot of people like the old Star Wars films though. You know, like the practical effects. That's why when J.J. Abrams said he was going to do practical effects, there is just such a a resonation with fans because, I mean, yeah, you watch, you know, A New Hope and obviously just some of the stuff they use. Like what film was it where they were using like a, a razor or something like that as a as like a communicator or was was it a razor? I can't remember. Oh, I think it I was, think it was New Hope. Into, yeah. Like, all of their communicators were, like, Gillette razors or something, it looked like. Yeah, I, I don't remember what it was, but, like, stuff like that, you're like, okay, clearly, like, they were on a budget, but you don't care. You right. love the film, you know? And that that's also the reason why with, like, 1979 Alien, the original, like, it's all practical, and it's so incredible. And then you get these CGI films that, I mean, sure, it's 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 crazy to think about what you're capable of doing but at a certain point i don't know i feel like you lose some of the heart of the film and not not always um like shin godzilla for example you know when we get to that one uh they they i think they were originally going to do godzilla as a uh as a, a suitmation right and they end up going with cgi but that film's so good where i that's one of those things where i don't care i get so lost in it but it's because sure. there's an actual plot to the film Right. If it's just right. like Rampage, I remember watching that one and be like, man, like if I smoked weed, this would be a great movie <laughs> for me, which I don't, you know, I need to clarify in case my mom is listening. Like I promise I hey, don't smoke around your grandson or smoke at all. But, you know, but that's the kind of film it is, though. Right. And right. it's unabashedly that. But what you're saying about this film is you're just like, OK, well, I, I would have assumed there would be more Godzilla in this. Because that's what you've been conditioned to think. And that's what a lot of people think is that these films, this whole mantra of the, the, these movies have never been about the humans. I'm like, have you ever watched the original? Yeah. And I think it's like, there are a lot of franchises out there that we kind of need to get back to the original. And I'm not trying to sound like a gen one or from Pokemon or anything, but mm-hmm. I think sometimes we've kind of let our memories of the franchise shape what we think the franchise looks like to the yeah. point where, I don't know, I kind of like was re- rethinking about the 2014 Godzilla after watching this one. And it's not terribly far off by any means. Like, there's still a lot of story, there's a lot of human elements, but I was kind of wondering how different it would feel if it wasn't a CGI fight fest towards the end. Yeah. I feel like with 14, there's not nearly as like strong of a punch in a message, which I'm not saying it has to, but it's definitely 
I, 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 I mean, frick, end game. I mean, it's all about environmentalism and conservation and stuff, which I'm, I'm totally in support of. But that's kind of the way that Godzilla 14 went, right? Where he's a protector of the world. It's not, you know, he, he's this grim reminder of the, the dangers of nuclear warfare. Because if he really was, then they wouldn't be trying to use a nuke to destroy the MUTOs. And they right. uh, yeah, it's and Godzilla uh, King of the Monsters, the whole way they handle nukes in there is absolutely bonkers. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I love that you brought up that was like your first impression because like that's exactly why I want to do this podcast because you know, there's, there's definitely films where that is the case where it's all about the monster fights, which is fine. Um, but I think it's, it's dare I say it's almost blasphemous to say that these films have never been about the humans because without the humans, we wouldn't have the films, you know? Right. And, there's, I would say there's some films that do it better than others. And if you don't like that, that's fine. Right. Yeah. But to say like, it's never been about that. I think you're right. It's, it's like, we need to actually like accurately watch these films for what they are and not try to uh, create them in our own image. Well, and I think to be fair, I would say the 2014. So like in both this one and the 2014 one, you, we have this idea that Godzilla is like this towering beast of a monster. And uh, obviously, right? That's not a groundbreaking revelation. But I think in the 54 one, I got the idea that Godzilla was dangerous more from the people. Like, listening to them talk about him. Listening yeah. to the like the radiation that they find in the footprint. And then everyone who gets sick from it later. Whereas the 14 film used cinematography to tell me that story instead. And I don't know. It's just interesting. I think what I'm looking forward to in the rest of the series is looking at how different directors frame the danger, frame mm-hmm. Godzilla himself. Because sometimes it's like, what do other people say about Godzilla? And, you know, in the 14, it was, what does Godzilla himself say about him? <laughs> yeah. So. so with the film itself, then, what was, I guess kind of going through your impression because i mean i took some notes i've seen this movie several times obviously um but only a few times in japanese but what were some kind of like your your takeaways from this just kind of being surprised at how because let me let me preface this before we get into it with two things so one is ashura honda who is the director of this film um is a pacifist and i think if you watch the film and you watch his other films, it becomes clear that that's the case. So if you're listening and you don't know what that means, um, it means that you disavow or you are not supportive of war. Uh, does it mean that you are anti-troop, like the people themselves, but you reject uh, military progress, prowess, stuff like that? Because um, he actually served in World War II, so that colored his perspective. And, that, and we're going to see that in other films, just the way the military is portrayed. Sure. Um, but not only that, but Ishiro Honda also helped, uh, work on, he was friends with Akira Kurosawa and he helped with some of uh, Kurosawa's films. They had eventually, I mean, yeah, they partnered with a few different films. Um, uh, Honda would eventually and use some, they, they would share actors and then, uh, Kurosawa's main composer, uh, uh, Mar- oh, gosh, uh, Sato is his last name. 
Um, I wish I had the notes up here, but he would end up scoring some Godzilla films as well. Um, but the reason I bring that up is just because the way that this film is structured, the way it's shot, the way that characters are um, placed in different scenes. If you watch Kurosawa, you can definitely tell like there's definitely a very uh, evident influence in that they they did shape each other there, which I think is incredible. So like, so are you telling me we're getting a Seven Samurai Kaiju movie? You know that would be really interesting. That would be really interesting. I actually still want to watch us uh, uh, Samurai Seven, which is like the anime version of that. I haven't seen that yet. I think I won't do it now, but. I was just thinking, I was wondering if I could even name Seven Kaiju to make the Seven Samurai Kaiju version, but... Well, by the end, you will. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, anyway, sorry. like, maybe some opening thoughts, especially colored by him being pacifist, is, like, it's very grim the whole way through. And mm-hmm. it's not that I expected a happy ending, necess- like, the, the film doesn't allow you to look for a happy ending 10 minutes in. But, like, one of the things that I was struck by through the whole movie was, like, everyone's in a hopeless situation, and everyone is pushed far further than they, like... Like, everyone tries a last-ditch effort, and nothing works. It's... Like, even the villagers with the sacrifices and the exorcisms... Mm-hmm. The military not be none of the weapons working, and then when we get to the end with the oxygen destroyer, everything's like a last ditch but futile effort to deal with the fallout. Yeah, because <laughs> clearly we know there's other Godzillas out there. So yeah, I mean it's kind of like, hey, this worked here, but isn't that you know kind of what Doctor Yamane says? It's like you know, that, that fear of what could happen. Like there could be more of these down the road if we don't stop our obsession with nuclear warfare. Right. Well, and that's the thing, like even from the beginning or even from the end, had I not known there were still 50 some left, he's he's saying it's really easy to imagine another of these can come. Yeah. And we're going to see like, Probably pretty quick. I don't know when the next monster shows up. It'll actually be the next film. So that's kind of the thing is the next film's the introduction of the uh, the the concept of monster fights. So okay. to speak. But yeah, I was just I was struck because like if you want to compare the islanders to the people in Tokyo, like neither religious nor technical or technological advances necessarily stop him mm-hmm. because like they, we we see like at the beginning the child sacrifice and the exorcisms and he still levels the village but yeah. then the military can't do anything about it and then it takes like this almost i don't want to say it's like an opposite atomic bomb but something just as bad really to stop him. And that's what's funny, because when I was watching it last night, you're talking about the Islanders. I never really paid a lot of attention to that scene. I don't know why, but it hit me last night that like, yeah, like this is something they've been living and coping with for the longest time. Now, obviously, the the fire breathe, you know, the radioactive breath and all that's a result of the Uh H-bomb because he wouldn't have been that way before. That was kind of the whole impression. But yeah, I mean, up until this point, all they could do is curb his appetite. 
right? They didn't actually deal with the problem. It was just kind of, I wouldn't say like a bandaid on cancer, but all they, they just try to satiate them. Right. And then you drop the H mom on them. And now everything that they had been doing that they thought worked clearly has not. And you're right. Yeah. Then that's when the Island actually gets destroyed. He, cause the way it sounds is that he never really, the impression I get is that Godzilla never actually revealed himself, right? Like he would eat all the fish Right. And they would have, you know, low catch and all that. So they would sacrifice the the girl to uh, to appease him. But it doesn't ever really sound like they saw him. And then this is where we really start seeing, like, now that he's pissed off and mad about it, <laughs> then they they finally experience the full wrath of Godzilla for the first time. But, yeah, it it, it is interesting. That it's, a, it's a futility on both ends. And I think for me thinking about pacifism and being a pacifist myself, I think it just kind of really builds into this idea of redemptive violence and how much of a myth it is. Right. So we continually pursue uh, military prowess. We try to figure out how to protect ourselves, but ultimately that doesn't actually stop violence. Like our violence itself only breeds more violence and it's only through um compassion and you know the paul says overcome evil with love right it's only that's the only way to really break that cycle and we don't even necessarily i mean and, and yeah actually we do see that we see that with with sarazawa where he loves uh emiko so much that you know he 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 knows that there's a love triangle going on right, right. but he he does give up his own life not only to defeat godzilla but to make sure that his his technology doesn't fall into the wrong hands, you know? And like, that is an act of love. It's, it's self-sacrifice. Yeah. I and mean, that's obviously what we see in Jesus, but like, it's, it's a sobering thought that, yeah, the military can't stop him. You know, religious rituals can't stop him. It's kind of a crazy hermit that has built a super massive weapon, but he gives up his own life to make sure that the monster stopped. Like. Right. Well, and now I'm thinking too, and I don't want to draw the point too, like too far. Cause I'm not sure how appropriate it would be to draw it too far. But like mm-hmm. when you, when you mentioned that all they knew about Godzilla was he's eating the girls and the fish, it's maybe one of the points that I'm picking up from this one is like, even though it was like Tokyo's war, like, it's kind of framed as Tokyo's problem later in the movie. Like, mm. it's really the Islanders who suffer the most, because they've been dealing with him the longest. Yeah. And, like, kind of, I, you know, I might be drawing this too far, but, like, Western war, this world war of the technologically advanced countries first hurts the Islanders, and then Tokyo. And, I don't know, this this could be reading into something that doesn't exist, but thinking about the fact that Godzilla and the Islanders were like using up the fish and then like humans were killing fish. It's like, there's so many unintended unintended victims of these wars Mm -hmm. that we don't pick up on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, in the blog that I did when I talked about the idea of chaos, right. I think that was kind of how they, um, you know, Godzilla's always appearing out of the water you know, there's always chaos happening, whether it's, hey, how did these boats get destroyed? You know, so this idea of chaos in the ancient Near East being birthed, like the, the correlation between the water. 
the reason I bring that up is you're right. I mean, it, it is easy to focus on just Hiroshima, uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki when it comes to the bombings, right? And that's obviously that's a huge deal, and I'm not going to belittle that at all. But there's always the fallout outside of it, and it's the it's it's also the the different you're right the different communities that through World War II, you know, it's not just um, the atomic fallout they dealt with, but their women being taken away is used as comfort comfort girls and all this stuff. Like there's a lot of stuff that happened. And if you look at Godzilla as not just, you know, the result of nuclear warfare, but just the, the avarice of man, right? Like it's, yeah, there's, there's so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just crazy to me that there's so much pain. You're right. There's just so much pain and hopelessness in this film. And it is easy to, I think, I don't, I don't think you're wrong in taking it too far, but I just think there's just so many different ways to take it. Right. And I guess, I don't know. It it seemed really interesting to me that they were very specific that he was some sort of land sea hybrid creature. Because if we're going to take like ancient symbolism, especially biblical symbolism, like Mm -hmm. the land symbolized kind of, especially like in the Christian Bible, the good guys, Israel, whoever that was at the time. And the sea was always like bad guys, Gentiles. And so like the whole world in this kind of symbolic world of a land sea hybrid is in danger. Like the whole land sea hybrid turning against technology. It's like not necessarily a nature strikes back, but a perverted version of nature does it like rebels against these technological advances when we've taken it too far. Oh, absolutely. And first of all, this is why I'm glad we're doing this podcast because you're pulling all this stuff up that I don't even think about. Right. Um, two seminarians on a podcast talking about Godzilla. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's this idea and you, I think Godzilla 14 picks up on it too, but you know creation is groaning for restoration right we we know that we're supposed to be stewards of creation and we've we've screwed it up you know there's there's no question about it so yeah i mean godzilla himself was already had existed right? right like the radiation didn't create him but it made it so much worse and we're we're reaping what we sow is really what godzilla is where um i'm going to pull up the quote here in a minute but it's 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 easy to look at these films and act as if Godzilla was something that was created and like, oh, well, if we don't just do nuclear warfare and all this stuff. And I think it, it it's a realization that and this is I, I did it with other films down the road, so I don't want to take that idea too much. Right. But, you know, so here we go. I've, I found it now. I don't have to stall so much. So um, or is this actually the right quote? I had made a really cool meme out of it, but I, uh, I don't think. Yeah. So anyway, uh, monsters are tragic beings. They're born too tall, too strong, too heavy. They're not evil by choice. That is their tragedy. And, yeah. you know, so it's, it's really taking away this. I'm trying to think of the right word, you know, like Godzilla himself. He's not an evil entity, right? I mean, he's just, that's his nature. You know, you can't get mad at a shark 
for <laughs> eating a seal or biting a, a boogie boarder, right? right. That, that's just his nature. That's that's what it is. What you can get upset is if kids are out swimming and you throw a bunch of chum in the water by the kids and then all of a sudden the shark starts eating the kids and you're like oh my god the shark's eating the kids and it's like it's your own dang fault right it wouldn't have done that if you didn't do that so that's kind of what we're looking at here is you know all this stuff that's happening is it necessarily and is it tokyo you know japan's fault that they got bombed well unfortunately to a certain degree they weren't innocent in the sense that they they sided with you know, with uh, Nazi Germany. But is that an excuse for the U.S. to drop bombs on them? No, not at all. And that's, to me, I watch this film and I feel like there's a sense of that where I, I can't imagine, well, I don't know, it's pretty close to the, 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 the timeline, but like there's never really a sense in this film where it's coming off like, hey, we're completely blameless in this. Right. You know, like I don't, I see that sometimes in these later films where, and we'll see it in uh, Mothra vs. Godzilla especially, where there is a sense of accountability taken, mm-hmm. like as a collective. But at the end of the day, there's never, like there's no justification for what the United States said here. I mean, really, we barely have justification for anything we've done in history, let's be honest. But um, especially in this. So all that kind of circle back around, like I said, Godzilla itself He's not an evil monster. Like most of these monsters aren't evil in themselves, but it's what we've done to piss them off, what we've done to really transform them into these darker figures. But ultimately it's our fault. Right. And like to, to make explicit what I think people beyond me have already known, like part of the question of the film was like, is it okay to kill Godzilla? Because, you know, he's a danger to everyone. And I think mm-hmm. what Yamane is kind of saying, Dr. Yamane is kind of saying, like, no, it was an animal before it got its atomic superpowers. It mm-hmm. doesn't deserve to die because it's a superpowered animal. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, but what could we learn from it? Yeah. Right. You know, that's he's looking long term of we are dealing with atomic fallout. People are dying every day. And we have a chance to find an end to that. He wants to break that cycle and no one agrees. No one's willing to do things differently. Right. And it, yeah, because it's like, oh, we have a problem because of military action, which is Godzilla, which is the rebuilding of Tokyo. But what if we meet the problem with more military action? It's like, mm-hmm. What? But that's exactly what they do, and they shoot the army at him, and it doesn't work. Yeah. And the film kind of prepares us to think, well, of course it's not going to work. We already know this isn't the answer. So I found the full quote that I was looking for. So monsters are tragic beings. They are not evil by choice. They're born too tall, too strong, too heavy. That is their tragedy. They do not attack humanity intentionally, but because of their size, they cause damage and suffering. Therefore, man defends himself against them. After several stories of this type, the public finds sympathy for the monsters. In reality, they favor the monsters. So, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of back to, like, you know, the residents of Odo Island. I mean, Godzilla wasn't being malicious by eating the fish, but he had to, 
right? Right. So they did what they had to to try to survive. And yeah, it's just it's it's interesting that even from the beginning, this vision of monsters not necessarily being evil was already kind of like injected into the film. Like he he had that. It wasn't something he added later on. Oh, totally. How did you uh, how did you feel about the train scene where the the girls like I barely escaped the atomic bomb in Nagasaki and now this <laughs> like ah uh, that that's probably one of the few humorous parts in the whole film and it's not even like it's definitely a dark humor. yeah it's very dark humor but again it plays into that theme of nihilism that says like well I escaped one tragedy and here I am at another like mm-hmm. I was it was like it's funny. But it was kind of hard for me to laugh, and it, I'll be the Debbie Downer here to think about, like, I can't, you know, and here's the problem, like, when, you remember the Vegas shooting from, a, I think, a few years ago? Maybe not even that long. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Though. And then one of the survivors was a survivor, or he was involved, like, he was in the crowd at a second mass shooting. Yeah, there's that's actually happened a few times that people have moved away from a shooting, then they end up going somewhere else and get shot at again, if not killed. Like I've seen that numerous times now. So like, I think that I think that little statement, like, it's extraordinarily prescient. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit here and say, like, here are the answers. This is a gun control podcast now. Obviously, like, that's so far beyond my purview. but. I think even in America, we understand to an extent what this maybe like cycle looks like, what these nihilistic thoughts could sound like because we experience it so often. Yeah. Well, and at that point, people really didn't think there would be an end to nuclear warfare. I mean, heck, I don't even know. (laughs) Like, We still don't even know if there's really an end to it, right? We haven't seen anything recently, like within our lifetime, but it doesn't mean it's not going to happen again. It doesn't mean that our president isn't going to say something to piss someone off, you know, but at that point, yeah, it was still like a very real thing. That was, that was the beginning of the cold war. Well, I was going to say, think about how much of recent history is colored by the fear of nuclear mm-hmm. fallout. And it's like, it, it was, it was a, such an experience knowing like America was like, it spent so many decades afraid of nuclear war that we were hiding under desks for that little piece of wood mm-hmm. to protect us. And then think like, yeah, but there's a country that this happened to and they're not just falling. They're not just dealing with what could happen if it happens again. They're dealing with, well, dude, it already happened once. Yeah. Kind of changes my perspective on like this America centric history that we got taught. Yeah. And and that's. Yeah, we could definitely go on a tangent over that. But I mean, I I will say, so like my dad, uh, the high school he graduated from became my middle school. But I remember when we do tornado drills, I mean, my dad, when he was in high school, the the roof got ripped off of the school and thrown off, right? So when I would do a tornado drill, it wasn't just like, oh, well, what if a tornado comes? Like, no, a tornado's actually already been on this building and it's already taken off the roof because it's a very real possibility. You know, that's, that's, you're right. It's when you've already lived through it, it's not a matter of what if, it's just like when, you know, like that's, that's the way you see it. And, you know, it's, yeah, there's a lot of things in our 
society that are very uh, similar to that. But that's definitely, uh, I, well, I don't even know if that's a bonus episode, but there's a lot we could go in there. Um, so, so, okay. I feel like we, we definitely share the, the opinion that this is a very thought provoking film. Um, it's definitely not, uh, how most people would perceive Godzilla when they think of Godzilla, this probably is not the film they typically think of, um, which is unfortunate because like objectively, how did you feel about this film? Like with the music, the way that it was shot, the acting, like, how did you feel? it's i mean let me just put it as obviously as i can it like it's kind of depressing it's not a feel good Mm -hmm. like time to watch a cool monster movie not at all like i think like so we talked earlier about foreign films and their current um maybe reputation for american Mm -hmm. film viewers because when you think about it we have like foreign film festivals which are like the height of art I don't watch Avengers. I watch like the 100 blows in French, but this is kind of like, I I don't know to put it as simply as I can. Like this felt like what we imagined foreign films are. It was moody. It was dark. Mm -hmm. It was philosophical. Even though I had a giant monster in it, it still felt like a human story. Yeah. So I don't know. I just, I was encouraged to think that, like, okay, they're not all going to be like this, but there's definitely enough to think about from the first movie that I think can carry over, like, so long. Yeah. Because I think, like, just because, like, one movie doesn't necessarily have anything itself to say in the context of the story, in the context of, like, Godzilla at large, it'll still have questions, I'm sure. like. If the second one doesn't have, like, if Godzilla 2, which I know it's not what it's called, but... Godzilla Godzilla 2, 2, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, If the Electric Boogaloo doesn't introduce any philosophical questions, we'll still have plenty, because we just watched this. Yeah. Like, if all of it, if all it says is Godzilla's back, and he's madder than ever, that's still like in conversation with the first one that's still pretty rich that's still a lot to discuss yeah well i don't know do you remember the blog i wrote for the second film that's when i uh, picked your brain about ecclesiastes so oh, that's right i mean yeah it, it i don't it's it's hard and i'm excited to have you watch it because it was one of my favorites growing up just because of the monster fights right mm-hmm. but as an adult I, I didn't like it until I wrote the blog article and then I liked it more just because it forced me to watch it that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you're right. It's it, these films definitely aren't like consistent in a storyline in the same way that we are conditioned to want from Avengers and star Wars and all that stuff, mm-hmm. which I don't know. It's, it's hard to put standards on a film that it's like, I don't know. It, it, my my whole thing is if if a film's not intending to do something, I don't know if it's right to judge it for that, right? So oh. this whole idea of like canon and you know a cinematic universe and all this stuff, like, I mean, you're gonna find a lot of these actors um, play reoccurring parts in different films, but they're different people, sure. right? So that right there wouldn't work. I mean, I guess there's a couple actors in the Marvel universe that have played multiple roles. Um, 
but as a whole, I mean, it's not going to be consistent like that, but there is a theme that goes through which you have the Showa era and then you have the Heisei era and then the Millennium era and then the Raiwa era and then the legendary um, films. But what's interesting is, so like the Showa era as a whole is pretty consistent. And then the Heisei era is, yeah, there's, there's kind of the consistency there references the original film a little bit, but then it doesn't. And then you've got the Millennium Era where it's all, they're almost all anthology films, but one film will reference the old one and be in the same universe. And the next film will pick out. So it's, it's not very consistent, but you're right. I mean, even if the film itself doesn't have a lot to say, just existing within this whole narrative, right? That alone, I think it's, you're kind of guilty by association. There is something that can be said, but Obviously, my goal isn't just to talk about Godzilla 54 the entire time just because the film doesn't have much going for it, which there are a few like that, unfortunately, at least in my opinion. But that doesn't mean that you're going to feel that way. And that's what I'm excited about is you may end up liking some of these films that I don't and then vice versa. Right. I mean, that's I'm really excited. Well, and that's the thing. I think like if there's a time when like King Ghidorah has like this huge philosophical storyline. And then next time he shows up, it's just so he can get his butt kicked. Like, that could still be in conversation that we mm-hmm. can do. But, like, I don't know. It's it's just, it's hard to say back in 53 when this movie was being written. I'm kind of guessing, obviously. But, like. I think it was actually all done in 54, if I remember right. Okay. So, 54, when the process started, this dude wasn't thinking that we've got a whole, what's the monsterverse? No, 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 no. Because, I mean, that's that's the thing is the second film wasn't even directed by Ashiro Honda. That's part of the reason why I don't like it, because you can tell it's a it's a cash grab to a certain degree. Like, it, it's very evident that his hand was not involved. And then once he gets back on, it's like it. Oh, we're back. Left. Yeah, exactly. Um, But we are getting close to an hour. And I think that's kind of our goal. Right, is to yeah. keep everything under an hour. Um, so final final thoughts here. Um, if you had to sum up the movie, and if you had to recommend it to someone, how would you do it? Oh gosh. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like this punchy tweetable thing, so we can make a little sound bite out of it, you know, for our ads. But um, gosh, I can't. All I can think of is like this movie really kind of viscerally shows you like the human cost of both like war and ending war, mm-hmm. like the violence, these, these cycles of violence, these power systems that are in place, like they're not going to be easily done away with. And I think it's like leaving us realizing that it's going to take sacrifice. And of course the sacrifice that we know and Jesus is the one that we believe breaks these cycles of power. But the movie itself is like, it's not going to be human. It's not going to be a clean, it's not a clean break. We're not going to get out of these cycles by on our own. And, but, but I would even disagree with that just because if the movie does show anything, I think it, it's a testament of the power of self-sacrifice. And oh, we, okay, yeah, so it's not going to be on our own in terms of it's not clean. It's not like something we can just 
shoot out of existence. Oh, absolutely. But I just, I do think that's such a powerful way to end the film where not only does Dr. Sarazawa give up his life to defeat Godzilla, but the entire time it's pretty clear that he knows about the love triangle, right? But he doesn't condemn them. It's, I mean, that's, I would say, I don't know a whole lot about Japanese dating culture, um, but my guess is he would be pretty justified in like ridiculing her the way Mm -hmm. that I've watched some of these other Kurosawa films and just the way they handle male, you know, man, woman relationships publicly and stuff. Um, I could be wrong, but I, I, I feel like he would be pretty justified in being like, Hey, we're engaged and you're, you know, carousing around with this other guy, but he doesn't do that. Right. And there's just something so powerful to me about that, that that's one of the reasons why I love the film is it's not just a film about war and sacrifice and all that, but it's also a film about like really relationships with one another, with romantically stuff like that. Like there's so Mm -hmm. much there. Um, Like my closing thought on it is, what's really kind of discouraging about the film is that like Godzilla is announced and that he's a thing and people just keep going on about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So like you see the cruise ship and everyone's just partying and dancing. Right. And it just, it it's a reminder for me that I have friends, right. Where we're talking about, you know, the U S like I have friends who have publicly dealt with racism. Like I have a good friend that has been harassed in Walmart um, when Trump was elected, guy came up to him and was like, you know, uh, you better watch out because it's hunting season for you guys. Cause you know, my friend grew up, uh, Sri Lanka, he's uh, Sri Lankan and white. And, you know, I have friends who have dealt with this on a reoccurring basis. Right. Mm-hmm. And what's my attitude towards that? Right. You know, am I, am I truly an ally? Am I truly helping them? Or am I just largely apathetic about what's going on? And there's multiple reasons to be apathetic, not just about race. It's, you know, all forms of ethical dilemmas, but that was just kind of a mirror into my own life of being like, what are all these things going on in the world that I just, I seem to care right when I see it on the news. And as soon as it's not on the news anymore, I just go back and I'm on the party ship until it's too late. And this big monster kills me and you know there's there's things i could have done so yeah Yeah. it's 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 definitely a very i used the word before it's a definitely it's a sobering film it's not one that you just put on because you want to have a good time right Mm -hmm. it's it's definitely a film where i'm like i could have used a glass of whiskey last night while i was watching Mm -hmm. this and if i could like i know you just said final comment but let me kind of maybe do one more i'll Um, allow it Thank you, Judge. But I think, like, you bring up this idea that, like, people know about Godzilla and continue to live their lives. Because it, it's such a big scene when people are like, you shouldn't you shouldn't tell people about Godzilla. He's, like, keep it a secret. Oh, and then God. Like, no, yeah. we really need to help. What? No, yes, that scene. Keep going. Yeah, I read yeah. about that. He's like, no, no, no. We really need to tell people about Godzilla. And then they do, and people are like, oh, well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, again, not very hard to think about prescient political parallels today about things that we've sounded the alarm on that people are apathetic to. Yeah. Until it's too late. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, if you're not completely depressed, thank you so much for listening to this first episode of the Kaiju Apostle podcast. Again, my name's David, and I've got Chris here with me. Uh, we look forward to doing this. Uh, I think we're on a bi-weekly schedule at this point. Um, I will have a bumper here at the end because uh, I have no idea where all of these different uh, what hosting and all that we're going to do. I'm getting that figured out now. Sure. Um, but I told you, Chris, I'd have a surprise for you. Uh, so remember Jonathan, who recorded the uh, the bumpers for us on the Star Wars podcast we did? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's going to do his uh, his fake British accent again. So uh, by the time you listen to this, you're going to get that. And we uh, remember that one episode that he did with the uh, the fake intro that we both were oh, dying man. about. Oh man! I'm yeah, he's so going to he's going to he's going to do that too. But I don't know which episode yet. And if that means nothing to you, that's fine. I just wanted to surprise Chris on air about this. But um, if it means nothing to you yet, it will. And I yeah. promise you, it's worth it. Yeah. So seriously, thank you again for listening Um, on Instagram. Actually, I'll just do all this on the ending bumper, Um, but have a great day, night, um, whatever, I guess, whenever you're listening to this. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Apostle podcast. You can tune in to future episodes on most major podcast distributors, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. For more information, including music credits, please visit our website, www.thekaijuapostle.com or at instagram.com slash the.kaiju.apostle We appreciate your support and hope to hear from you soon.